this computer. All right, we are here today with somebody that's inspired me heavily for the last two years as a business owner in California. I love that, um, Ian, that you don't live here. And I love that we get to share a story about how you can be connected to somebody and um, learn and grow through somebody without even really being connected at first, that we can be people that are inspiring or mentoring people just by actions that we take indirectly. And you've had a huge impact, not just on me, but there was a time when you had put like signs to put on our businesses and where I was at on a street and being street, we all, I've made copies and we all had them in our businesses. And so just talking about these little things that actually are not that little anymore. I mean, they're, they've made huge strides and really influenced a lot of people. Tess and I are so excited to get more involved and we really just want to know how we can you know, get more involved with the movement that you have going on, get behind you and support you, get our network out here involved more and just really educate ourselves on the things that you're doing. So thank you for being with us today. You guys, we have Ian Smith with us. We're very excited and honored to have him join this conversation with us today. Um, Yeah, thank you, Ian. And I think just to kind of build off of that, what we really want to get across to our audience is like, this is a grassroots movement, right? These are starting, this is a business owner in New Jersey that started to, to really create this new narrative. Like, what do we need to hear? What do, what do we need to understand about what's going on across the nation right now in order to build, you know, steps in order to, to help um, everybody move to a place where we'd rather be, but don't always know how to get there, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And I think that uh, with you joining, you know, the people, um, um, that you have joined as you have developed your um, process of moving everything forward. I think what people really want is the tangible, you know, what do I do today? Like, how do I take little steps today that are going to contribute to the greater whole? And why am I doing it? Where are we trying to go? And I, that was another thing that, that I really am excited to talk to you about, Ian, is what's your why? You know, why is Ian doing what Ian's doing? And um, what's, the, what's the long-term goal? If there is one, you know, where, where are we headed? Um, so thank you again for being here with us. I'm very excited. Me too. Thank you for having me. Um, like I said, I, 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 I'm an open book, so let's, uh, let's start the discussion. And, you know, I, um, I've been figuring it out myself along the way. So, you know, uh, the best I can do is, is give you guys insight into what has helped, uh, myself, um, and the people around us kind of, uh, start this, this little kind of crazy movement that we have. Awesome. So I think it'd be really good for our audience to kind of hear like your backstory and, you know, Tess and I know what you went through and I call it major warfare out there, how you combated it, stood your ground. Um, But if you can give us, you know, just our listeners a little bit of background on what happened when COVID started. Uh, So for anybody who doesn't know my name, my name is Ian Smith. I'm one of the co-owners of the Attilus Gym in Belmar, New Jersey. Uh, Belmar's a Sleepy little suburban town uh, right across the river from Philadelphia and South Jersey. And my business partner, Frank Trebetti, and myself, um, we bet pretty heavy on, heavily on ourselves um, in June, excuse me, in July of 2019. So just nine months before coronavirus uh, came around and was thrust into our lives by, you know, whatever. Um Frank and I bought a failing gym that was three months behind on all his bills and had less than a hundred people a day coming through uh, a 15,000 square foot facility. So um, 
you know, but we knew, we knew that we could do it. You know, Frank had been in business for about 20 years at the time, and I was in business for about 10. Um, I was a strength and conditioning coach and a personal trainer that worked with just a variety of different clients through the years. I had sort of reached my potential as a trainer uh, in terms of earning potential and, and reach, you know, because there's only so many hours in a day. And you know, I was looking for the next step. Uh, and Frank was a uh, nutrition store owner who's uh, owned a, a, a really successful nutrition store through, uh, you know, the, the early years of fitness and nutrition. And even through the bodybuilding.com, Amazon era, he's been able to keep this brick and mortar store open. Um, but, you know, we both had bigger goals and we worked alongside each other. Uh, I rented the space in the back of the store for several years and the opportunity came to buy a Tillis. And it was something that we had both. Um, I know for Frank, it was a lifelong dream. And for myself, it was something that I really wanted to do and to be able to grow my business and my reach. So we took a chance and we, you know, we pretty much bet as heavy as we could on our own abilities. And in a very, very short amount of time, after putting all of our eggs in this basket, um, Attila's turned around. It went from a very toxic environment um, that was not welcoming to people. Um, it was not welcoming to newcomers if you weren't uh, part of like the clique that was in there. Um, and it certainly wasn't welcome to women. Um, and it certainly wasn't welcome to people who are just learning. It was like a hardcore gym. And if you don't know what you're doing, kind of get out of here. And uh, Frank and I knew we could change that. And we did. And we changed it around overnight. We were successful in paying our bills from the first month. And um, we just put everything that we had back into the business. We were fortunate enough that, you know, I had personal training as a, um, as a source of income and Frank had his nutrition store. So we didn't have to take a paycheck would have been nice, but you know, we were just putting every dollar back into the business um, and just, just putting the love into Attilus that was just needed. Um, and that's really all it needed. It's a wonderful place, wonderful location. Um, from a business standpoint, uh, it, it checks all the boxes really. And um, it was just in, in, you know, gyms, especially, you know, as a gym owner, I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, 20 pound dumbbell weighs 20 pounds wherever you go. Um, it's why are people walking in the door? What type of environment is inside of that facility that makes people want to come um, and be a part of that instead of just go to Planet Fitness and, and pay $10 a month to work out like in a library setting? Um, you know, so uh, we were successful and um, we were just exponentially growing and we were, I think, tripled our member base. Um, we were, we were living the dream. Uh, and then coronavirus, the whispers of coronavirus started. Um, and, you know, kind of everybody remembers that, that time where it was like, oh, there's this weird China virus from bat soup. And then it's like, oh, well, there's a couple cases. And then, oh, we got one in Washington. And then it was like, you started to hear the whisperings of like martial law and lockdowns. Nobody really knew what was going to happen. And there was all this fear and hysteria just being uh, just, jammed down our throats in the media you know cnn was playing the videos of people dropping dead in the streets in china and msnbc and fox were showing hospitals that were you know quote unquote at their limits um you know and nobody really knew what was going on collectively i think all of us were like what 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 is what is happening right now and then that order came to shut down and um you know frank and i were not not excited about it in any you know, sense of the word. We were a brand new business. Uh, we still had bills to pay. We, you know, that was a scary thing for, it's a scary thing for any business to say, Hey, you know what, just shut down for two weeks. Um, business doesn't work like that. You know, businesses, um, they're, they're delicate things and, and they can be thrown out of loop really quick. And they're a, 
a well-oiled machine and you don't just shut it down and turn it off. Um, you know, but the, uh, the hysteria and the fear mongering was enough that we begrudgingly shut our doors because at the end of the day, we didn't want to hurt anybody. And they were really cranking in that message that like you as a living, breathing person was just like a threat to everybody around you, no matter what. Um, so we shut down, but um, we kept working. We had a lot to do. Like I said, the place was an absolute dumpster fire when we bought it. So there was tons of work to do. So we kept going to work and um, we would see every day, just like the strange world uh, where nobody was out except oddly enough at Walmart where like the parking lot was packed and, you know, just, it wasn't sitting right with us, but most importantly, you know, somebody came into our lives and said, you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to provide for your family. You're not allowed to socialize. You're not allowed to do all these things. We wanted to know who, who these people were um, that just sort of popped up into our lives because, you know, I wasn't really paying attention to politics at the time. I've kind of tuned in and out of politics throughout my life. Um, and honestly, at, I was just kind of enjoying the, uh, the feel good nationalism, uh, of Trump and this, you know, this nice booming economy. And, you know, I was happy with, with what was happening, but I really wasn't paying attention to anything beyond just some major headlines. Um, so we want to know who these people were, you know, who, who were these politicians who were just, just giving themselves this, this broad authority, you know, um, under quote unquote emergency powers to shut us down. And, and what was this, this thing that we were so afraid of? Like what, you know, what was it? We didn't want to know like just some headline buzz. And, you know, so we started looking um, and that was kind of our job. And we paid attention to the politics and right on cue, um, it was politics as usual. You know, there was hypocrisy from the very beginning. Um, of course, they never missed a paycheck. Um, they fumbled around with this idea of helping people. Uh, they never gave a, uh, a clear direction upon like what we were waiting for or what indicators or what science and data that we were following, you know, and, and the more that we looked the, at these people, especially when they passed the economic stimulus bill, which on in New Jersey, that was day 11 of the shutdown. And, you know, we were supposed to be reopening in three days. We hadn't heard anything about it, but they, they, they print $2.6 trillion worth of money. Um, and we wanted to see what was in this bill because it's over a thousand pages. And when we read it, it was just full of red flags. Like it was just very clear that this was just another example of government either creating or um, just seizing the moment of a, of a quote unquote emergency and using it to further their powers and just, you know, just do what government seems to do best. Uh, which is, you know, screw up the lives of regular people and, you know, make themselves richer and more powerful in the process. So uh, that was kind of enough for us right there. Um, and the more we learned about coronavirus, when we were looking at actual science, it was not adding up. The alarmism that, that people were seeing was just not adding up. So that led us to the decision that we were going to reopen. Um, you know, we, we weren't going, we were watching businesses die around us. Excuse me, my allergies are killing me today, so I'm scratching my eyes. Um, we're watching businesses around us go out of business. And these are people that are in our community. There are other gyms in the area that, you know, uh, as much as I love being competitive in business, I don't want to see my competition go out of business for any reason other than they, they, they're a sucky gym. I don't want to see people um, lose their business because of no fault of their own. You know, I don't want to see people's families uh, struggle because somebody came along and said, you, you can't work anymore. And we were, watching restaurants and gyms and all these places crumble around us. And, 
you know, we just collectively looked at each other and said, this isn't going to be us. And this is not okay. Uh, it's not okay for us. It's not okay for them. It's not okay for any Americans to have to go through with this. Um, you know, so we said, all right, we're going to open, but we knew we were going to take a load of shit for it. Um, and we knew that we were going to come under a lot of scrutiny. So we didn't just want to like open with like middle fingers up, you know, you can't tell me what to do, uh, despite maybe having felt like that. Um, we wanted to say, oh, okay, you know, you're, you're saying there's this, this novel coronavirus that is so deadly. Well, you know, we're going to put in a safety protocol because, you know, you can't just shut people down and this is not a long-term solution. We need to be able to live with this thing. So let's keep businesses going and let's keep life going as normal and, and do everything that we can to protect the people uh, who are most vulnerable, which is the idea anyway, in a, in a pandemic response, life doesn't stop. The world just doesn't work like that. So um, we took time and, and we, we dug everywhere and we came up with a safety protocol that was 15 points um, and was so outrageously over the top um, that it would be ludicrous to shut us down. You know, keep in mind, Walmart was open and it was OK as long as you like follow the one way arrows through the lines and stood on the stickers on the ground. And, you know, and mm-hmm. when you. When you look back at it, you're like, holy crap, that was so ridiculous. Um, but like, it's like, okay, you know, so they're doing this. We're going to do all that plus all this. Um, you know, we brought in ventilation systems. We changed our HVAC system around. We had every single member in the gym have their own spray bottle with peroxide-based cleaner that was non-toxic, uh, but that killed coronavirus on contact within 15 seconds. We had um, just so many things put in place. Um, we looked at what the government was doing, looked at what hospitals and healthcare was doing. We looked at all these things. Um, and then we just piled on, on top of it. We said, okay, here's a public, um, announcement. We're going to open, um, whether you guys like it or not. Um, and here's our plan. And if any business or church or school or institution in the country wants to follow our lead, here's how to do it. And don't just open, you know, just wildly open, open, like you care about people because we did, you know, and, and we want to keep people safe, but we also know the value of, you know, the, the, um, it's hard to quantify and they don't want you to quantify it, but the value of being able to go to the gym, the value of being able to go to school for a child. We, and looking back, we know all these things. Um, so we opened, um, and that caught the attention right, right when we put that announcement out, I think it was kind of right time, right message for a lot of people who were growing sick and tired of what was going on. That was seven weeks into the shutdown. Uh, caught the attention of Tucker Carlson and Tucker Carlson came along to our little fire and threw a big old can of jet fuel on it. And that threw us into the national spotlight. And it was really just right time. Like I said, right time, right message. People were captivated by the story even before we opened the doors. Um, so we Ian, was the that the goal? Was that the goal at that time uh, when Tucker Carlson came in and, and kind of blew this thing up? Was your eye on that? Like, I, you know, this is a national message or was it kind of just started as this is a, this is a necessary thing for our community. And we are trying to support other small business owners um, in just, you know, our influence area. Um, but to have both. it be expanded across was was the goal both, to both very much. Both. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, we wanted, obviously, you know, there, there's layers to this. Obviously, it was about self-preservation at, at you know, at, at the core. But, you know, we didn't want this for anybody. It wasn't just about us. We wanted people to follow our lead because it wasn't fair what was happening to the middle class. It wasn't 
unfair what was happening to people who have a first generation, second generation, third generation, fourth generation business that their family made, that created, that they put in the hard work. These are things that are built um, and they're not easy to come by for anybody who's been in business knows how challenging uh, and how hard it is to, to get to a place where you can provide for your family. Um, and we also know the importance of, of small business as a, as a, as a means of, of, of being a social ladder. You know, this is how people pull themselves out of the lower classes and into higher income brackets and can provide generational comfort uh, and security for their families. You know, and it, it just wasn't OK. So um, we knew that we were going to get our heads bashed in, though. So we knew that media attention was, you know, because at the end of the day, we played nice with government in the beginning, but we knew that these people were up to no good. You know, we just had to give them the opportunity to show that. And we knew that we were going to need to show people how poorly government would react when you didn't listen to them. Um, and we knew that media was important. We were hoping for one local news station to pick us up. Um, and that happened. That was uh, a radio station in Philadelphia. And then somehow that got uh, passed along Tucker Carlson. And he called that day. He was like, hey, come on the show. Let's talk about it. And I, you know, I specifically remember the first show uh, you know, I've been on a dozen times now, but the uh, the first show, I, I don't remember much, but I was so nervous. I could hear my heart beating in my ear. But I remember <laughs> him asking, um, I remember him asking, you know, like, you are about to openly defy your governor um, who has expressly said, like, you cannot open your business in the in front of the national media. You're here on my show telling people you're going to do it. Like, are you prepared for that? And I just said, yes. You know, because we were at the end of the day, we knew that what we were doing was right. And we knew that what these people were doing was wrong. Um, so we opened and it became a, uh, a dogfight over the next uh, year and a half. It's still going on. It's, it's quieted down quite a bit. But we opened on day one to a couple hundred people in the parking lot and a, a, a line wrapped around the building of our members and, and people who wanted to come work out. People who weren't even members who, who drove. God knows how long uh, to get to us. You know, we had people coming from eight different states at one point uh, to come work out. So uh, we opened and, and that began the series of escalation. And, and all said, uh, we have 90 municipal citations. Uh, we have nine criminal charges. We pled guilty to one of them. That was the crime of taking the, the, our doors off so that they couldn't lock them. We were sentenced to one year probation for that. We've been fined 15400 $97.76 per day for every day that we were in operation, which totals somewhere over five, six months uh, against the lockdown orders. Um, we had $173,000 plus more uh, later taken out of our bank account uh, by the government. We have been arrested. We've had members arrested. We've had members who have gotten charges. We had our doors physically locked uh, against our will. Uh, they tried to do it again. We took our doors off. We camped out in the gym for 47 days and 47 nights without leaving, uh, open 24 hours a day in protest. We drug 40,000 pounds worth of equipment outside into the summer to, to allow people to keep working out. We've had our plumbing messed with about six times uh, where people were backing up the plumbing from inside the building. You name it, they tried it. Um, they took our business license away. They uh, they did absolutely everything that they possibly could. They levied court orders against us. Uh, we've had threats on our life. Um, you name it, it's happened. Um, but all said, 
Attila's gym stayed open through it all. And um, now we're somewhere on the back end of it. We're, we've resolved two of the major issues in court and we have three more left to go. Our business license was recently reinstated. The town kind of tapped out and said that we can't fight you in court anymore. So now we just have some state stuff left, the appeal of all the fines, um, as well as all those 90 municipal charges. But, you know, the, the objective overall uh, was to stay open by any means necessary um, and not allow government to control what we did. Um, so, you know, it was mission accomplished. And now it's kind of just tying up uh, all of the, the nonsense that's left. Um, I have a question. What happened to that money, that $173,000? Is that something you guys get uh, back that just went away or? So uh, as of right now, it doesn't exist. But one of the, uh, the things that we're in court for is the appeal of the fines, um, because there's still a huge outstanding balance that we quote unquote owe. Um, they actually pierced our LLC, too. So they said that we're personally liable for that, which is total BS. Um, so we're fighting the remainder of the fines, but we're also appealing the fines that they took in the first place. So that's all wrapped up into that case. I would imagine it hasn't been hard to find attorneys that are willing to to take on this fight for you, or at least I would hope not. Um, Actually, it is. It um, is. Yeah, you know, so, Tess is an attorney, so, right? I'm an attorney. Yeah. I, I actually, when I left law enforcement, I opened my own uh, law practice. So awesome. that's what I've been doing out here uh, since. Uh, so you, you know that good, good lawyers are few and far between. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we had we we obviously, you know, like when when we first opened, like we didn't even have an attorney. Like we didn't we didn't even really think about it. We were like, oh crap, maybe we should get an attorney. And we got linked up with these two guys who were total sleaze balls. Um, they were all about the cameras when the cameras were there, they were jumping in front of them and, you know, just running their mouths about how unconstitutional it was. And the first loss we took in court, they, they cut tail and ran and we had paid them a, a large sum up front. So we never even got that money. Um, and they left just essentially what was a, uh, a heaping pile of shit, uh, for the next attorneys that have come in. And we have several working with us. Um, and they work really hard and it's a very, very uphill battle in New Jersey where our judges are appointed, not elected. Um, so they don't answer to the public by any means. These guys are all under tenure as well. Um, but we do have a good team. We've had a lot of lawyers in the process uh, who have reached out, but have uh, turned us down and said, oh, there's nothing that I can do to help you guys. A lot of lawyers who were in agreement with us, but told us that we were crazy um, because that we would never win. Um, and a lot of ones who just, who, who said, listen, like you're, this is a, this, you're not going to win against the government and there's nothing that anybody can do. And I don't want to take this case. Um, basically saying that it would ruin their career in the future because they're kind of reliant on the, um, the relationships with judges and prosecutors and stuff like that. Um, and that, uh, basically like they, they didn't want to upset the machine. Um, that being said, there are a lot that did reach out to, um, but there's only so much that everybody can do. And there's so much, you know, um, there's only so much capacity for us to raise money to, to even pay people, you know, I mean, and, and people have their extent of what they can do for free. So it's been very, very interesting. And we did, we did wind up with a solid legal team. It's just, I guess these are these kind of 12 round battles where it's like you get so accustomed to losing in the beginning you know, because that's the nature of the battle is they are just going to beat you in rounds one through 11, hoping that you don't have the fortitude to stand through it. You don't have the resources to stand through it. You don't have the, the guts to keep going, knowing full well, you know, anytime you battle a big entity, whether it's a corporation or government, 
you know, that's usually the scheme that they run is they know they're wrong, um, but they know it's not likely you'll make it to round 12 to get that knockout punch. Yeah. And I think what you've obviously noticed um, is that the the change has to come from the inside, right? This isn't, you know, a a team of attorneys battling, you know, a set of facts versus the law, you know, looking at it in black and white. Yeah. It makes sense that they would say, you don't have an argument here. Here's the law. Here's what you did. Right. How how do I argue that, that you weren't in direct violation of that? But with that being said, instead, you're like, okay, well, I'll deal with that over here, but I'm also going to run for Congress. So then when I get into that seat, <laughs> then, you know, I can actually yes. start implementing change, right? I, I can do it from the inside as opposed yeah. to trying to fight the man on the outside. Not that that's not a noble battle that needs to be done, but. Um, no, that's, that that's kind of spot on. You know, it's like, so I, I had, as things started to quiet down and, and we weren't there for 16 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, I started to think, okay, like we're going to, we're, we're, we, we got this, like, the lights at the end of the tunnel, it's there, you know, so what now, you know, I would always ask myself like, what now, you know, like that's, this can't be it. Like we played, we played an immaculate defensive game against government, like nothing that they did could stop us. And, you know, but I, I found myself asking like, okay, but I, I don't want to wait for like what, whatever the next thing is that government's going to decide that it has authority over or, you know, I just got really tired of playing defense with bad government. So it's like, okay, well, what do we do to go on the offensive? You know, because what it feels like, I think collectively we can agree is this is like we're always responding, mm-hmm. you know, to yes. to government. We're always running to the fight, um, and we're and because of that, we're always unorganized and we're always out outmanned and outfinanced and um, just out organ like it's. It's, you're always on, on your back foot and you're always responding. And it's like, you know, we need to get to a place where we are solid in our footing and that when government comes, that we have the, the individuality uh, and the self-reliance uh, and the mechanisms in place to where we can say, fuck, you know, you know, mm-hmm. excuse my, my, my language, but you know, we found ourselves in this COVID situation where everybody without realizing it was so dependent upon the, the societal systems that we have. And they're wonderful. You know what I mean? I'm not, not one to talk about tearing society down, but like everybody was so dependent upon these major corporations and this and that and government um, that when they said like, hey, listen, if you don't listen to us, like we're going to, you know, you don't work. You know, you can't work at your job that you've been at for 20 years. You know, you start looking at it and being like, wow, maybe maybe I need to fix some things in my own life so that this can't happen again, you know, because I know a lot of good people who made really bad decisions because they, they felt like they didn't have other choices, um, you know, through this people who, who, you know, got a vaccine that they didn't want or uh, who masked their kids uh, even though they, they hated it and they knew the negative effects or whatever it may be. Um, You know, so I, I thought, okay, what now, what do I do? Um, how, where am I most useful? You know, I, I can't, I can't just sit around in a gym waiting for the next time governor Murphy decides he wants to step on my toes, you know, because that's not how you deal with a bully. Like you have to make sure the bully's off the playground, you know, because if it's not small businesses, it's going to be somebody else somewhere. You know, and we saw that they came after small businesses first, and then they came after the middle class and, you know, they started picking people off. And it would be easy for you to sit there and say, okay, well, if the heat's not on me anymore, then someone else can deal with their own problem. And if it comes to my doorstep again, then I'll deal with it. And I think that's a typical American response to something, right? If it's not on my doorstep, 
then it's not in my face and I can just go about my life. And then when you come at me, then I'm going to have my response. Like you said, it's all responsive. If you're messing with me, then I'll fight back. If you're not messing with me and it's Jess's problem, then I might be able to be a little bit of a support to you, but I can't fight that battle. It's not my battle. You know, kind of to piggyback on this in California, I mean, we're still in, we still have emergency orders in our state. Like those aren't lifted yet. So um, I can tell you we're like rewinding. I never closed my gym either. I did get one, um, you know, Tess is, she's the sheriff and she was the public announcer for Sacramento during this time. So that was a wild mm-hmm. time. And the reason I bring that up is because I had one person mess with me and it was a, a police officer from a city over sending me emails. And finally, you know, you just hit your max where you're like, dude, this is already like, I'm coming into work. People are taking pictures of me. I don't know if they're for me or against me. I don't know if I'm going to get, I'm a woman. It's kind of sketch. My kids in my office on zoom having a meltdown because he's five and he doesn't, we don't do electronics. Now I'm like, sit for six hours and do your, you know, it was just chaotic. And then finally Tess is like, why don't you go down to the police station and say something? You know, and it was like, it just took somebody that was like, I think in a different department to tell me like, you can go down there. And I did that and it backfired and nothing came of it, but it felt good to kind of rise up and say, you know what, you're not going to like stop messing with me. Stop bullying me. Yeah. Stop bullying me. I'm not cool. And I'm not cool with it. And they, they, that, that police department managed that entire thing. So shitty, but at least they knew I told them, I'm like, I'm the wrong person to mess with. Like, I'm not, you can't really intimidate me. But you know, the crazy thing is that when we were battling that and I was battling the school because I wasn't going to mask my son, I didn't care what anyone said. I didn't care if I lost all my friends like that just for me, like was, I just wasn't didn't feel right. And I did lose friends out of that. And I did collect a lot of feedback with that. And I refused to unenroll him on principle alone because they didn't give me an option with a medical exemption for him not to wear a mask with a doctor that's been in practice for 40 years that said no. And so what ended up happening at the end of that is that not only was I so bullied by the district, like I have a stack of stuff I'd get in the mail daily, but they turned me in and I ended up having to go through CPS, the sheriff's department. I had, it was insane. I sat on a call and right when I was on there, the the nurse had a mask on, on a zoom call. And I'm like, this is what I'm battling right now. Like, (laughs) this is insane. But they ended up like unilaterally kicking me out of school for him and told me because I couldn't comply. And I said, why would I comply if you're not giving me an option? Like, I'm not doing that. So I like silently like battled this thing on my own because I wanted to know. And I went to the superintendent's office and he would not just it it gets so crazy. He wouldn't take my my meeting. And so finally I I called and I said, you can either take it or I'm going to show up one or two ways I'm coming. I'd rather it be where, you know, I'm coming. So it's not so conflicted, but I'm coming. So they take my call and I go down there. This guy is building a home, custom home in Tennessee, because he's got his family out there already because he's not in alignment, but he's backing it up here. And then the superintendent, which is who's harassed me, has pictures of my son all over her desk from my parents would come out from Virginia and help me with him, keep him. And they had pictures of him, like with a mask underneath his on the airplane, because this is when it was sketch and you couldn't and you're feeding your kid all the time. So they're not putting it on. Mm -hmm. And that was like their argument. And I'm like, so for the, you know, and these are by people tagging me. Okay, this isn't stuff I'm posting. So I'm like, you've spent how much time trying to put like a story, you know, against me to keep me out of school. This is what we're paying you to do during a pandemic. Right. Yeah. And 
It was, it was insane. It was the first time I walked out of there and I'm like, this is so corrupt. Like I kind of cried before I got my car and it wasn't for me. It was for my son because it's like, I can't, how do you plan long-term right now as a mother? Not, and I'm a business owner. It's just, it's, and I'm still there. Like I, I tell people all the time, I say, I am doing a day by day thing and I'm not going to do anything that's not in alignment with my own peace. So if there's an exchange and you're taking my peace away, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to strong arm me in it. I've already fought this battle quietly, which I mean, it, it wasn't easy. You know, you kind of carried the weight of a lot of families during it. You know this, right? There were people in my studio that lost family members to suicide over this, where, you know, you're taking that on and you're just praying to God that by making a stance with your own family and not giving in, that you're not going to be dealing with it immediately in your own family. Um, but I think until you hear stories like yours, right? Like for me, I was like, okay, I'm not alone, you know, because you feel like I'm just this little gym owner in California that is. They, they, were, incredibly, <laughs> they were incredibly good at creating that, that type of environment where people do feel alone. You know, we're already kind of on, on a track, you know, I think as a society uh, of a lot of this. You know, and, and people feel connected through this and less connected by lifting their head up out of a 45 degree angle. Um, and I think that they knew that going in and they knew that when they forced everybody into their homes, they were going to force everybody onto this. And they have full control over all of that. You know, yes. it's it, the, the, the degree of how advanced that technology is, is, is far beyond what most people understand. You know, when it comes to computer algorithms and stuff like that, you can literally create anything. And they were able to create a world where everybody was thinking into themselves, what the fuck is going on? You know, so they were, they were really good at creating that idea of, uh, or that, excuse me, creating that reality where people felt alone. You know, they, they, they already control everything that goes into these phones and, and they know that people already kind of had a, have a tendency to communicate through them. So when they locked everybody up, you know, the technology behind the algorithms and stuff like that with social media, you can create a, a world that doesn't actually exist. You know, so you had all these people who were feeling the way that I think most people probably felt where they were had some questions at the very least and had some doubts. Um, and a lot of people who weren't buying it, but when they went online or where everybody was communicating, they weren't seeing it because these people are able to turn down the volume of the voices that are, are, are talking reason and logic and uh, hope and not fear and, you know, unity and not division. They're able to kind of tone that down uh, and they amplify along with, you know, traditional media, the crazy and the hatred and the division and the, you know, they play up they play up the masks so that, you know, people are absolutely berserk about them. And we spend all this time fighting low hanging fruit, you know, bickering with the, you know, the crazy college kid in the, in, in, in the grocery store, who's telling you like just the most absurd things. So it made people feel very alone. And that, that confrontation, I think most people aren't comfortable with that idea of being confronted um, whether or not they believe in, in, in something or not, you know, there's not a lot of people, you know, who went to the extent in the story that you were just telling, you know, with their kids, even though they hated it because they felt so alone, alone and they didn't have that courage to, to be the first one through the door or be the only one through the door. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just incredible how well they pulled that off because the reality 
you know, I remember uh, talking with, you know, my buddy Andy Frisella about this and we were like, you know, trying to figure out like, why is there such compliance? And, and it, they created this idea that everybody was compliant. You know, when you went out in the first couple months of coronavirus, even the next couple months after that, everybody had a mask on. Why? Well, everybody at the store was being threatened to under the, under the loss of their job. So it looked like compliance there. And everybody walking in sees the sign on the door and knows that they're probably going to get in an argument and they don't want to deal with it. So they just put it on. And, you know, people who really don't want to do it walk in and they think, am I the only one who feels like this? You know, am I the only one who thinks this is this stupid? And the reality was no, but you had people complying because of this illusion that they created that made people feel really alone. I think that was probably the, like the, the best strategy they had mm -hmm. um, is they made people feel crazy. Like I can't be the only, you, there's no way you were the only mom in your school who was like, this is bullshit. Right. You know, well, and, but, and how about the shame fest that went along with that? Right. Exactly. We would get each other to comply based on shaming family members, shaming each other about, you know, what's the big deal anyway. Right. Why do you, it's not that big of a deal. If it saves somebody, then it so saves much. somebody. Right. Yeah. If you could save one life then why wouldn't you put your mask on? It's like, you know, creating that internal conflict, but you know, and Ian, that's such, that's so, that, that, that's so manipulative, you know, because totally. in 2019 or any time before that, there was never a moment. It, it's, it's such man, it's so manufactured, excuse me, is the word manufactured and manipulative because in 2019, any time before you never had the thought walking into a grocery store with a sniffle that somewhere down the line, 12 contact points later, somebody's grandmother was going to die because she woke up with a head cold. Yeah. And, it, and the reality is that's not the way the world works, but they convinced everybody with this asymptomatic idea, which is just another word for not sick, um, <laughs> you know, but they, they push these lies and they, they play on the fact that most people are good people, you know, yes. and when you tell them something like that, you know, it's a bold faced lie, but that's a very serious thing to, to say to somebody, you know, who most people won't harm a fly. Yeah. So here's my question to you. I've learned a little bit of your story through social media and I know that you've had hard things. I think we've all gone through things that are hard that we've overcome and I've gone through hard stuff and I've raised siblings of mine. So one thing I know to be true about me and Tess is she has her hard thing is like, I can do hard things. I am made to climb mountains. Like I'm not scared of the unknown. I've already done that at such a young age. I think in this situation for me, because I had dabbled in depression earlier in my, in, in life, I was, I'm unwilling to go back in this quicksand. I'm sure in the hell I ain't doing it for someone else. Yeah. And I'm sure in the heck not going to put my son at that edge. And so it really wasn't that hard, but what would trip me out is like going to Home Depot and everyone looks like you. And then there's me that's like barely five feet with my little boy. And men would come out and be like, thank you, you know, for standing your ground and they've got a mask on. And I'm like, bro, you should be standing your ground so that I'm not getting picked on by a bunch of dudes when I walk in. It was it's wild true. to me, you know, because I'm like, I'm, I'm fighting your battle. You should be fighting this for me. So he sees it. But one of the one of the first things I really noticed was that was that you know I got I started to get invited to all these rallies and stuff as a result of what we did and they were they were like proxy causes it was medical freedom stuff it was other stuff but I the first thing I noticed is why why am I one of like six guys at this entire thing 
And the feedback that I got from women was like, thank you so much for being here. We need you guys. And I, at first I was like, huh? And they're like, we've been out here, like the medical freedom moms. She's like, they're like, we've been at this for years. Like we've been, yeah. we've been on the front lines. And that was, I mean, that's, that's a really scary thing. You know, when, when you have a society of men who have become overly agreeable uh, to the point that they've, they've lost the fundamental role of what it means to be a man. That's to protect, you know, you take yeah. everything else away, you strip masculinity down to, to its bare essentials. And masculinity is about two things. It's about protecting, you know, what is yours and, and your loved ones and being able to provide for the same thing. And without that, you're, you're not much of a man. Um, and I think this really pulled the curtain back on how, mm-hmm. how far, you know, we've, we've fallen as, as men, you know, as a society in, in general. But I like to speak about men because I don't like to tell women how to be or, 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 or anything like that. But it's not your jobs to be on the front lines. It was none of your jobs to be in the middle of a culture war. You know what I mean? Like that's, you guys have skill sets that are, that, that don't require you on the front lines. You know, that's historically accurate for women. And yeah, sure. You have some, whatever, you know, but you guys are communicators and organizers and networkers. Um, you guys are, have always been the engine, you know, that powers the machine. Um, and you guys were on the front lines of this in, in most cases where, and, and the men were just, they had completely checked out. You know, I don't know when this happened, but it's, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen that too. You know, I go into a Home Depot and, you know, there's a, there's a five foot nothing chick, you know, not wearing a mask and, and these big, big guys that are, you know, that look like they could rip your head off with their bare hands. And they've got hands that are, you know, look like rocks because they've done hard work their whole lives, but they have no foundation to stand on in terms of a value system as a man. It's just whatever. It's crazy. And it, it's interesting. Like we both have little boys and like to be raising a little boy and be the mother on the front line, protecting his rights. And then also telling him like, these are the, he heard those are, you know, he heard those conversations with men. Like he saw, you know, he saw those quiet cries that other people didn't see, but he also like one thing I know to be true and Tessa's has known me for a long time is I'm unwavering in the areas that I believe to be true. I don't care what you say. It's not that I'm disrespectful, but I just stand true to who I am. And I feel like a lot of people just don't know who they are, but my son feels safe with me. And that's my biggest thing because we've seen a lot of people out of convenience too. I mean, I had a lot of clients that didn't believe in it, but they also didn't want to be dis- like not uh, inconvenienced by not being able to travel or they didn't want their kids at home anymore or all those things, yeah. which is... <laughs> you know, to each their own, you know, but, um, so that's like, it it was a wild time. Yeah. And I think to that point, there's more people that are doing the introspection now because they've had the time alone at home disconnected. And if they're lucky enough, that led them to an inward journey. And so if this community that we're talking to now, our community talking to Ian today, you know, what, what do you stand for and what can they get behind now coming out of, you know, this, well, coming out of whatever the next, uh, you know, part of this COVID journey is, or just in life and, and in government, certainly in the United States, what do you stand for and how can people get behind you and what would that mean for them? You know, what are the, what's the value system that you are, you know, perpetuating? So, you know, if I can, if I can explain it as simply as possible, you know, what I saw during 
COVID and the subsequent two years of it is that as a society that we have grown extremely weak. You know, you, you guys just mentioned convenience. You know, people did all the stuff for convenience. And it's insane to think that you would do something that you don't believe because it's, it's more convenient for you to just say whatever um, than it is to say, no, these are my values and I am unwilling to give them up no matter how inconvenient, you know, like the idea of traveling and getting a medical procedure that you are suspicious of um, or that you don't straight up don't want um, and doing it because you're like, well, you know, I kind of want to go to Europe. Um, I've deserved, I've, you know, I've earned it over the past like 18 months. Have you? Well, like, I, I don't think you've earned, earned a vacation. It. Earned it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you've earned anything, honestly. Um, you know, but that's neither here nor there, but it's, it, that's a scary place when you have a majority of, of, of people who think like that, because it's a very weak society and it's a society that is weak by choice. Um, whether that's a, a conscious or an unconscious choice, I think as a whole, we're, we're, we're sliding very quickly uh, into that, you know, that cliche of, you know, um, strong men create good times, good times create weak men. Um, you know, when you're, when you don't have to earn your, your place in the world every day, um, or, or at least you don't live like that, whether, whether, you know, modern society doesn't necessarily call for that, but if you're not earning that, whether by choice or by necessity, you start to get dull as a person. And, and when I talk about strength, I'm not just talking about physical strength, but, but strength in, in, in every capacity. You know, so we have this, this society of people um, who are just kind of helpless, I think is the word. Like they're, they're so codependent upon government and convenience uh, and big corporations. It's like, you know, we've, we've disconnected so far. Like I always think about it in terms like, you know, would my ancestors be proud of me? Mm -hmm. You know, somewhere down the line in your family, whether your family has been in this country for hundreds of years uh, or you are a first generation, um, you know, immigrant, somebody somewhere in your family has bet so heavily on themselves that they came to this country with absolutely nothing. Um, or they came to this country and had to literally start over and build a life from scratch. You know, people came here on wooden boats across an ocean, um, you know, that was a, tr that was complete treacherous journey. Um, and the first thing these people had to do when they got here was find food and build a house. Um, you know, like that type of attitude is what built this country and what, what created the beautiful place that we have. Um, but that doesn't, that, that's just not inherent in you. That's something that you have to, you, you have to cultivate. It's no different than working out in a physical sense. You know, if you don't sharpen yourself every day, um, in these capacities, you grow soft and you grow weak. And I think we've slid in that direction without realizing it, um, you know, as, as a collective, um, for, for a really, really long time. And then all of a sudden something like COVID comes along and it exposes just how weak we've gotten, um, and how dependent we've gotten. And, and then you have this other idea now where somehow it's selfish, uh, to put yourself first, yeah. you know, um, we have this societal concept where it's like, oh, we have to care about these people and we have to care about these people. And, 
you know, well, this war is going on and that's going on. And that's all I, I you know, you're not talking to an uncompassionate person or an incompassionate person, but you can't care about anybody else until you rock solid. You guys are both mothers, so I'm sure you understand that. You know, you can't put your kid before yourself in a sense that you, you, you lose your ability to take care of them because you, you don't take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, yes, you're putting your child first, obviously, but you're rock solid first so that you can give your child everything that it needs. And that's, we started looking at the world in the wrong way where it's, we're looking into the outer circles and saying, we got to take care of those people over there. Look at what we do with our money in the, in the United States. Send 40 billion, send another billion here, send another yeah. billion here, send another billion here. But look around in our cities, you know, they're, they're literally falling apart. So what happens when you do that is by the time you're done caring about everybody else, then you start to care about like your immediate people. Um, and then you can kind of care about your family and then you can care about yourself. But the, the time you move your way back in, in all of this, you're exhausted. You have nothing left. You know, it's a, you deplete yourself along the way. And, and at the closer you get to the things that truly, truly matter, the less you're able to give to it. You know, and the reality is, is we need to flip that. You know, it's very simple. You know, we take care of ourselves first. We hold ourselves to a certain standard. Uh, of excellence, whatever that is, um, you know, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, financial, otherwise, we hold ourselves to certain standards, we set rigid goals for ourselves, we, we accomplish them, and we work hard, and we persevere, and we, we just expect a lot out of ourselves. And when you start to hold yourself to that standard, that kind of flows, oh, your, your cup fills, mm -hmm. and you fill into the next, and you're able to take care of your family to a higher level, and you can continue to pour that outward. And then when your family's rock solid, then your family can be good for the community. You know, and it's this, it's this filling, you know, it's almost like a, like a positive feedback, you know, where the more you work on yourself, the better you are for other people, the better you are for other people, the better that community is that's going to be filled with those people. And then outward and outward and outward. And, and there's a cultural shift that needs to happen um, along with a political, a political shift. And that's where I decided to run for Congress. You know, it, it's, we, we felt we've fallen into the trap where nobody, nobody runs for public office. Um, and the few that do get smashed uh, by the establishment because nobody takes it seriously enough. We're not holding ourselves, you know, uh, John Adams said that we were given a, um, a republic if we could keep it. You know, these things aren't guaranteed. Um, mm -hmm. you, you don't just have freedom because it like exists in a bubble and it's never to be toyed with. Like freedom comes at a cost. Um, all these things come at a cost. And, and if you want to live in a place where you are free, um, and where we don't run into these type of things, people need to step up, um, in their communities. And that requires first, like I said, for them to be rock solid as individuals and rock solid in their families. Uh, and then, then that means showing up at your board meetings, knowing what's happening at your local, knowing who your local politicians are is a start. But to, to wrap up a long-winded answer, to get involved um, in any way necessary, but it starts with getting involved in your own life and taking control of that. Um, and then moving outward in those rings of sort of influence to where, you know, you, you have the ability to, to, if you don't want to run, step up, um, step up and support, you know, 
give your time, your energy, your money, your focus, your attention, your voice, um, whatever it is to people that are willing to fill those shoes because we keep getting the same result here in terms of politics. You know, we're, we're basically in the fast lane and the slow lane. You have the establishment left that is taking us to crazy town as fast as possible, but then you have the establishment right that's just going the same direction in the speed limit. You know, the reality is government keeps getting bigger. It keeps getting more expensive. It keeps getting less effective. Our lives, the, the quality of our lives continue to decline. Things get harder for good people. Um, and it's because we're not paying attention to how these people actually get on the ballot. You know, guilty as charged. I've never voted in a primary election in my life. Um, I should have been doing that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's important because there's good candidates who run. They're, they're not going to get on the ballot without your help. Um, and they're not going to fundraise without your help. And word of mouth is not going to travel without your help. You know, these are tangible things that we can do to fix our communities right now. If, you, if, you're, if you're, you, your child goes to a public school, you should be at every single board of education meeting. Um, and you should know who all these people are, how they vote, what their political leanings are, how they got into office. It's not hard to find the information. It takes time. It takes commitment to yourself, um, you know, and, and having the discipline to sit down and do those things and not get distracted by Facebook or Instagram um, because that's super easy to do, you know. And if we all commit to that, we could live in a very different place in just a matter of a few years, um, a place that's not only as good as we were all feeling, um, you know, in 2018, 2019, but a place that is so much better than that because, that was just a little bit of a taste of, of, of the good life, in my opinion. Um, and it's not, it's not a hard, it's not a, a complicated fix, excuse me, it's a, but it is a hard one. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's very simple. Uh, there's not a whole lot of steps, but it doesn't mean that that's going to be easy. You know, it, it requires us to step up as individuals. Um, like I said, start with the individual, focus on your family, um, and, and then keep moving outward. And I think people need to get rid of this idea that they're like, everybody wants to know like, all right, what's the plan? The plan is there is no plan. <laughs> mm -hmm. The plan is that you are the plan. Uh, your willpower, your commitment to a good life, you know, your dedication, your hard work, you know, your, your creative ideas, um, you are the plan nobody's coming to save you. There is no president who is going to come along. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we could have ever made. You know, everybody loved Trump and they thought Trump just had it like, Oh, he's got it. Look at him. He's kicking ass up there. He's making peace treaties and doing that. But when push came to shove, you know, they, they whisked him away very quickly. Um, and then we all stood around collectively, you know, kind of just waiting for what to do next. But the reality is we should all be involved. Mm. You know, and in, in, in whatever capacity, and I tell that to people all the time, I get tired of saying it, but find your hill, find what's important to you. Um, if you don't know what that is, ask yourself what you care about. You know, it's an easy answer for most people. Your kids should be the answer, you know, and if that means school board meetings, then that's, that's your hill. You don't want to fight on every hill, you know, but get involved, you know, I, and, and don't underestimate the ability that you have. You would have asked me two years ago, three years ago, uh, if any of this would have been possible. I would have said, no, I'm just one person. I only have 
I only have a thousand followers on Instagram, you know, blah, 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 blah. But here I am, you know, three years later, you know, there's a million people that I can talk to on a daily basis across my social media platforms. And that's not even the point. But the point is that you don't know until you put, put your, your chips on the table and start playing. Them. Um, you know, I, I had this one woman, I spoke at an event in Ohio, a uh, little event, um, excuse me, Oklahoma, out in Oklahoma. And it was, just sort of just, you know, Republican rally and they flew me in and it was about small chains and stuff like that. And I always tell my story and I, I tell people, I said, if you don't, if you don't know where to start, look for somebody doing something in your community that excites you and that interests you. And if nobody's doing it, okay. then you're the leader. Yep. You're the one to start it. If you don't, if, if there's no parental committee oversight in your town and the school board's going wild, well, guess what? You're, you're the president now. You know, you create it. And I had a conversation with a woman. I said that to her. She's like, you know, I, where I'm at, like nobody's doing anything. I said, well, then you do something. And, you know, she, she kind of like thought about it or whatever. And I wound up seeing her months later at another rally. And I didn't remember who she was, but she, she said, I'm so-and-so. You know, I talked to you in Oklahoma and I remember. And she said, I want you to know that I took what you said and ran with it. And I was like, what did I tell you? You know, I, um, and I, you know, she told me and she said, I went home and I started a Facebook group, um, called moms something for, you know, school, whatever it was about. It was about focusing on schools. She said, I started it, you know, three months ago when I saw you and she said, you know, we just had our, our elections, you know, and she's like, we got 37 moms in my home state elected to the school board. Mm-hmm. And she's like, our membership base is, a, is over a thousand. You know, I laughed at her. And I said, I think you told me that, that nobody was doing anything in your town, if I remember right. And she's like, yeah, nobody was. Um, and I was like, well, look at that. You know, and that's, that's, that's the answer right there is you don't have to have an answer. You have to have a purpose. And, and from there, you'll fill in the blanks. If you're, if you're true to your purpose, you know, you're not going to have all, you're not going to have all the answers. You're going to have a lot of wrong answers. You're going to have dead ends. You're going to have hiccups. You're going to have a lot of no's, you're going to have a lot of uncomfortable situations, but the reality is, is that it's worth fighting for, it's worth going through, because um, on the other side of it, you will look back and you will be so proud of whatever you've accomplished, even if it's a small battle, um, and that just leads to more and more and more and more, and that's, that's how you turn this, this thing around. You can't wait for these politicians to do it, and I say that as a politician. Um, you know, the, the last thing we need is more political solutions. Yeah. What we need is more cultural and more people solutions. Yes, really good. So Ian, from us being out in California and movers and shakers out here and um, wanting to really like get more connected and join movements like what you have going on. And we love Andy and how he spoke up. What can people like us do? We are making those strides in our community, but um, you know, we want to do something bigger. And it, it does, it comes down to conversations like this that, with people that are doing things. How can we get involved more in that, get behind you? I know uh, First Form is doing cool stuff. Is that just a matter of plugging into those people? And, um, you know, what's your recommendation on that for us out here? Um, well, as far as, you know, our campaign, you know, goes specifically, um, we are heading into the general election, um, or excuse me, we're heading into the primary and we'll be heading into the general after that. We have seven days left. Um, we have this awesome little grassroots campaign that has four 
um, for no reason other than that we have the right message and we have the people. Um, we are very much poised to win this. Um, everything has worked against us. I mean, the GOP has actively undermined us. Uh, we got a late start. We've been outspent like 12 to 1 or something ridiculous like that. Wow. And, um, not only has the GOP not supported us, they've kind of threatened us and gone after us, and they've done everything they can to get their person in. Um, we've done we've dealt with political backdooring and everything like that, and and we're still we're still poised to win, um, poised to upset, I should say, and and that's amazing. It's just a true testament to what happens when people collectively get behind an idea and just are unrelenting in their push. Um, so stay tuned to that. You know, if we if we win the primary, we'll be able to use volunteers from around the country, uh, stuff like just making some phone calls for us. You know. Um, opportunities will be available um but in the meantime if you've got a primary uh, in your area you know get out and help these people um get out and just be a body for them go not we have people that you know we have this small team of volunteers and people come by and they grab bags of literature and a list and in their spare time throughout the week they just go and hit doors um and they just drop off a piece of literature on the door and if somebody's home we'll chat with them you know, an hour here, an hour there. Um, but we were able to pretty much cover our entire district uh, with just a small team of people. Um, it's not, none of it's going to be glamorous. It's all kind of boring work. Um, but make yourself available. And um, and that could be at a local level. It could be a state level. Um, offer offer yourself yeah. as, a, as a form of help to these local movements. Um, that's how you help me. And that's how you help yourselves, and that's how you help um, the world around you. Is just make yourself available and readily and happily available because it, it's it's always about not having enough people, um, and and that's it's invaluable. It's invaluable. That obviously your candidates need some money to get you know to get you through the the stuff that costs money, but the stuff that doesn't cost money is what really matters in this in, in the in the political world. Um, the word of mouth. We have parents, or excuse me, we have people opening up their homes to us um, a couple times a week for a, a meet and greet in their town, and they invite twelve other people over, and we sit and we talk and we have these discussions. Um, and no amount of advertising and establishment politics can beat stuff like that. So that's my recommendation in terms of politics um, to get involved like that. Stay tuned to, about what we have going on. Um, hopefully, in, in seven days, I'll have some good news to share with the world. Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting. Well, I just want you to know, I, um, you know, I'm a firm believer. I love Jesus. We pray, you know, um, I pray over my son. We pray for people like you. He knows who you are. Um, you are covered, I'm sure, in so many other ways that you don't know, tangible ways like this. And to me, it's so important to know that there are people in homes at night with their children that are lifting you up in prayer and, you know, feel it. yeah. Really and do. so I hope that you feel that too, because I really feel like that's an important um, strategic way to come into this thing, knowing that you're being lifted up on that level and, and you definitely have that. So it's been an honor. I, I mean, we're going to somehow, some way we're going to connect with you again. Um, we are rallying for you out here. We'll be watching to see Thank what you. comes of this. And um, it's just been an honor talking with you today. Thank you for everything that you've done. I know it'll inspire our Thank listeners. You. And um, down the road, we'll have to have a follow-up and see where we land on this thing, huh? All right. Sounds good. Thank we need you on here to share the good news, ultimately. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
and I'll uh, I'll keep you guys updated with uh, with what happens in seven days. But yeah, we'll have some good news for you. I promise. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for it. all your hard work, and thanks for doing the good fight for all of us. Thank you, ladies. Have a good one. Thank you. You we'll too. Talk soon. Bye.